Hey there, Jody Vance with you on this Wednesday, the first day of March. We made it. Here we are, March the 1st, 2023. And many of us who happen to live in the city of Vancouver wake up to uh, one of the largest tax increases in more than a decade after Vancouver City Hall Council approved the biggest tax increase in a very long time. 10.7% property tax increase is one of the pieces of this puzzle. Here is Mayor Ken Sim basically telling you how he sees this budget. We're choosing to deal with the situation today, and we are going to fix that roof. And I know this sucks. We're all part of Vancouver. Sorry, he says it sucks because that leaky roof, he says, we've been living with for a decade, and it has gone without repair. Therefore, it is going to be costly repairs. We're also going to talk a little bit about Surrey. We're going to talk a little bit about Port Coquitlam. We're going to get into it all with my good friend, political analyst, former Vancouver City Councillor, my co-host on Unspun Podcast, George Affleck, is on the line. Hi, George. Happy St. David's Day, Jody. For all the Welsh, for my fellow Welsh people out there. How are well you? done. Well done. Yeah. Random day. Thank you, George. I always can oh, count no, on you for a, a little. Day. It's a big it's day. A bi- <laughs> it's a big day for the Welsh. There's no, I, I, with all due respect, there you go. <laughs> hey, okay. It's a big day for many in Vancouver. We're going to talk about more than just mm-hmm. the city of Vancouver, of course, but let's start here. Uh, mm-hmm. Mayor Ken Sim saying, you know, I know this sucks, but we're all <laughs> Vancouverites and we got to get through what's been broken. We're, how do you consume what happened last <sighs> evening? Well, uh, he uses a leaky roof analogy. I'll use a leaky bucket analogy. I would say that he needed to fill some holes before he started pouring more water into that giant leaky bucket. Uh, the city, I feel I'm disappointed that I didn't see any cost savings that at least were made clear to, to us as taxpayers. Uh, something that I think a lot of people assumed, uh, uh, you know, Mayor Sim, who's a CGA certified general accountant, uh, would have looked at the books as he promised and found ways to find savings. I, I didn't see that in this budget. Uh, I saw a commitment to spending more money on fact, stuff that he did promise he'd spend more money on policing, uh, streets, uh, engineering, uh, fire department got a big chunk of cash. Uh, obviously, they endorsed ABC, first time the fire department's ever endorsed uh, what would be considered a right wing government. Um, and they got what they, they wanted. Uh, police also endorsed, uh, you know, this council. So um, it certainly pays to endorse ABC, I guess. <laughs> and, and uh, doesn't pay the to difference, be a in the city, that's for sure. Right, but the, the, also the difference here of having what we've talked about many times on Unspun Podcast is how the previous council makeup, the 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 fact that it felt like it was just day after day of bureaucracy and administrative up updates and and motions and you know there were there were very few things getting done with this majority on council clearly things can get done things like this massive budget um being voted upon and passed last evening the the 2023 operating budget is through um but where is the i mean you and i have talked about the fact that we've needed in this city some of the very basics to be addressed and they haven't because of the pet projects. I think that's where I'm going with this is like, uh-huh. there are some yeah. basics that are in this budget that are going to cost taxpayers money. You can't get this done yeah. without it coming out of our pockets. Yeah. I think people were hoping for a reprioritization of, of how cities run. Obviously that's, you can't do that overnight. Bureaucracy is bureaucracy. Right. But, you know, we make jokes on our podcast a lot about the, you know, 40-plus communication staff uh, that, that used to be two people is now 40 people. Uh, I didn't see any cuts to that. I see his mayor's office costing more money than the previous mayor's office, more than the previous previous mayor's office. These kinds of things are not the good signs that I'd like to see in, in, in City Hall. Uh, I, but I, I think, you know, yeah, they're, they're, what we're seeing here, though, I think, and I think he alluded to this uh, in his press conference, was that, this will not be standard procedure. Right. Uh, and, and so, in fact, what he's alluding to is, and this is quite often in politics, do the painful stuff right out of the gate. Usually it's the opposite. You cut. <laughs> you don't go on a spending spree. So uh, in this case, he's gone on a spending spree in his first year. Next year, I imagine he'll come back with a 2 or 3% budget, and he'll have those kinds of budgets because now he's, he's done the painful stuff uh, that we're all screaming and yelling about and my guess is, well, I sure hope if he has any plan at all, was that next year's budget will see a rate of inflation or, or less budget, and that will be subsequent budgets with a focus on being reelected. Because if he, if he brings in another 10% budget, this guy's not getting reelected. I'll tell you that. 
Let's talk about Surrey now. Mayor Brenda Locke uh, has an even higher tax rate on her plan. Let's have a listen to what Mayor Mm. Locke has to say on Surrey's tax hike. This budget is based on what the council voted on, which is to keep the RCMP as the police of jurisdiction. If we were to go with the Surrey Police Service, that number would be significantly more. So in other jurisdictions, George, we're talking about things like keeping the streets clean and taking care of crime and and, and Mm -hmm. fire departments Mm -hmm. and parks and what have you. It is very laser focused in Surrey on SPS versus RCMP and the cost associated Mm -hmm. with running two police forces that are really working against one another. (laughs) Well, she's in a bit of a pickle for sure, Mayor Locke. I mean, she's got two police forces. She's got to pay for both. The 9.5% of that budget, that 17.5, is towards... Uh, this this problem that she has there. So that's a, 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 a big chunk of the cash that's got to be taken care of until the decision's made. But even if the decision is, I believe it, I've said it's for many years, uh, because you look at Vancouver as an example of the portion, the proportion of the budget, that your own police force is a significant cost. And so if the province says, no, keep, you're going to stick with the, your own police force, RCP is gone, don't assume that that's going to be cheaper. You're going to see a massive increase in budgeting for policing in Syria if they have their own police force. That is just look at Vancouver and see how that works out. So in the in the fact the RCMP is an efficient system for policing, it may not get the job done that Surrey residents want, and that's kind of why they went down this road. Um, but now they're in limbo land until the province makes a decision, and there doesn't seem to be any sign. He says he'll make the, the minister says he'll make a decision this year. Um, um, who knows? Uh, but I think that's their sort of in holding pattern until that decision's made. Ma- Mayor Locke says she wants the RCMP back, uh, but the province might say the opposite. And I think some of that, and even though the minister says this is nothing, you know, the, the Solicitor General says this isn't doesn't play into it. But come on, polling is important. Surrey's a crucial riding for the province. If they make a misstep in that pro- in that re- in that region. Uh, in Surrey, they might lose seats there and they might lose control of the government. So it's an important area for, for the NDP to win in the next election. With your role at Curve Communications, you've worked in the behind the scenes of, of campaigns and in crisis communication situations, marketing, PR and, and such. When you look at what's happening in Surrey and the previous mayor versus the current mayor, one wanted the SPS and, and was elected on that, the other elected on turning the clock back to the RCMP and then it being sort of lobbed at the provincial government and the provincial government promising a deadline, then pushing the deadline and now sort of saying, you know, the city's going to have to sort that out. There's no money coming from the province here. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's getting, it's getting so that there's the goalposts feel like they keep moving. What do you see happening with regard to that? Cause it's just going to cost more at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an expensive experiment in, uh, going it alone that's for sure i don't see there and i think it's really interesting because the previous mayor mccallum ran on a campaign to bring in his police force he did that but then he got the boot uh and because of that which is weird um it's just a big fiasco uh that is beyond politics it's just bad i mean it is politics really it's just a chaos of politics and surrey taxpayers are paying the brunt of that uh, by the tune of 17.5% this year. And I'm sorry they have to, but they voted in McCallum to change. They voted out McCallum to change. That costs money. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett, getting lots of DMs and uh, text messages and emails about our conversation with George Affleck. Of course, you know he's a fill-in here at CKNW as well as political analyst, former Vancouver City Councillor. He's a communications expert at Curve Communications. And George, um, before we dive into the Mm -hmm. Porco Quitlin piece of the puzzle, I I got a note from Jenny, regular listener. Uh, She says, I am not upset at the new budget. The last council in Vancouver, she's referencing, did not take care of the basics and and cut spending on maintenance, parks and roads, etc. I'm very happy with Ken Sim and ABC, says Jenny. And then Rosalia says, hi, Jody. I love listening to you. Curious, with all the tax hikes, does any of it have to do with people deferring taxes more and more? What do you think about that? No, no, the province uh, underwrites that. So there you, uh, you can defer your ta- If you're over older 55, you can defer your taxes, but the province underwrites that. So it doesn't cost the city any money. Okay, that's good to know. Now, when it comes yeah. to costing money, one of the, the mm-hmm. solid places to uh, live in Metro Vancouver would be Port Coquitlam. We constantly talk about how Brad West manages to do 
where what other jurisdictions struggle to do, uh, and certainly not every other jurisdiction struggles with this. And, and Vancouver is a very different animal, as is Surrey, very, uh, very mm-hmm. much larger entities. So we acknowledge that yeah. for sure. But Brad West uh, put out, you know, his plans for Port Coquitlam in terms of what property taxes uh, are going to be like moving forward and, and certainly did an incredible job over, we have to agree that he did an incredible job over the pandemic of t- keeping in mind how people were struggling and, and, and managed to keep services and even build community centers and places and spaces <laughs> for people in Port Coquitlam is really quite something. Yes. I mean, Brad likes to torture me. He DMs me sometimes and lets me know yeah. these things so that I, so that I have a, my head blows up because uh, I'm like, oh, God, uh, you know, three, three, 3.3% tax increase rate of inflation right now is what is six. Um, and this is, uh, I think last year he did zero. Um, you yeah. know, this guy uh, has got it all figured out. Now you said it, this is a smaller town. Uh, so a lot, a lot of the same stresses uh, that uh, the big cities have like Surrey and Vancouver, but, you know, it's about connecting to your community. And, and all due respect to Jenny, I think that, uh, you know, I think 10 point, you know, the, the mayor promised, mayor in Vancouver promised under 10%. Now we're at 10.7% and plus utility costs at 6.5%. So, you know, this budget is huge in Vancouver. And yeah. again, it's, it's you know, we'll see, uh, you know, what kind of, if I look around the streets in a year and I go, oh, okay, all right, you know, that's cleaner. Okay, there's a pool being built. Okay, okay, this is happening. Uh, but if I don't see that kind of stuff, if the streets are dirtier, and in fact, frankly, right now I'm looking, and I don't see much change in the city of Vancouver, and we're now four months into into the the reign of the city. Uh, when is that change going to start happening? Uh, and I'm paying, you know, a lot of money for for that change. And as a Jenny, and as is you, and anybody, including renters, because you know everybody pays the taxes. Uh, in ultimately, the city. yeah. Um, ultimately. So, you know, it's, it's, I just think that Brad's really got it figured out, but he does have a smaller town. No offense, Brad. Um, but let's, you know, get connect with your voters and understand the electorate and the taxpayers and understand, especially when times are tough, we can't afford more with inflation happening on an egg and a, and a, and a butter and all these other things right now, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%. I don't need another 10% of my taxes. Not another cup of coffee. Not another cup of coffee. I know. It's your favorite. <laughs> it's your it's your BS cup of coffee. How about we say it like that? <laughs> hey, with just a couple minutes to go here, George, one of the other mm-hmm. things that we talk about on Unspud Podcast, by the way, if you want to listen to the podcast we keep refer- referencing, we've been doing it for years now. Every Thursday it drops, unspunpodcast.com. It's where you can sign mm-hmm. up for that. But we were talking about Park Board because that has made a lot of news. The Bike Lane in Stanley Park made a lot of news. Upkeep of parks, mm-hmm. having to catch up on what was lost and Park Board getting an injection from this budget too with the city of Vancouver. I want to go on record right now to say it is March 1st. Now is the time for us to train, hire and train the lifeguards we need for our pools and for our beaches. No more of what we had last year, please. Yes. And can we, the the pandemic uh, infrastructure that they created was, I think some of it's still in place last year. Let the people in. What's going on? And, and I, I think I have hope for the park board, and I think they needed that funding. They've been underfunded for years. Obviously, uh, removing the allowing parking again in parks will is a significant amount of revenue that they will have back. As much as people might love those bike lanes, uh, the cost uh, of losing those parking spots was in the you know tens of millions. So. You know, it's it's really uh, it'll be interesting to see, and having that mass majority on there obviously helps. But uh, again, you know, you and I will sit down in, a, in in once a year is up, and I think everybody will do this and assess how things have gone, and and this council and this commission and, and even school trustees, where this party in Vancouver dominates uh, ABC, um, people have high high expectations. They gave them the power to make massive changes, uh, but I didn't. I think I'd see massive tax increases, and I'm disappointed in that. It's a massive spend. Will there be mm-hmm. the results that we hope for, as you often uh, school me in the fact that you can have the best mm-hmm. of intentions and even all the money to make the thing happen, and still the process of politics exists? The uh, the difficulty, as we were discussing yesterday with the provincial budget, it's great that you want to spend all this money and do all the things, but where are you going to get the people and the workers and the cranes to rent and the, you know, the supplies that you need in order to uh, implement and build the things you plan to do? George Affleck, always a pleasure to yeah. hang out with you, my friend. We'll chat tomorrow. Thanks, Jerry. 
Probably one of my favorite things to do here when I'm filling in for Jill Bennett is to connect with our next guest, the regular segment that happens with the one and only Claire Newell from Travel Best Bets. I dream big whenever we talk, Claire. Thanks, as always, for doing this. Oh, thanks so much, Jody. It's great to chat today. Let's start with some news that really will impact people across Canada, even though it is happening in Toronto and certainly the news happening um, about this cap of flights just when people start to think about their spring break travel, it's right around the corner, happening right now uh, in some jurisdictions. What are we learning out of YYZ, YYZ? So, yeah, which Toronto is Canada's largest airport, and they're limiting the number of passengers that are going to be allowed to take off and land during the busiest spring break and summer travel times. They're basically trying to flatten the peaks and they're also capping the number of international arrivals or passengers departing to the U.S. on an hourly basis. And they're doing this because of all the mayhem that happened. We saw it happen over the summer months. We saw it again happen. Of course, weather was also involved over winter break. And, you know, spring break and peak summer, they're very, very busy times. And they, they're hoping that this will help the situation. And a lot of this is to do with staffing levels whether that be border agents, air traffic controllers, but the since the pandemic, uh, it's just been rough getting people back into positions right across the travel industry, not just here in Canada, but around the world. So I do want to assure people that Air Canada and WestJet, uh, Porter, and a number of airlines have already come out saying that there has been no adjustments to their schedules. Uh, so Everything should be fine. I just am advising people, if you are traveling over spring break, watch your emails, watch your texts. The airlines should have your, uh, and tour operators, I'm hoping that you've all, if you have a, a trip planned, have given your latest contact information to whomever you booked it with so that they can be in touch with you because any flights that are impacted, it may mean that flights may have to move, say, an hour or two or, or more. And if you are one that's impacted, you'll be notified by your tour operator, your travel agent, or your airline directly. So just make sure that you have that in mind. All right. We have got to just do the double check, triple check on our plans, but also knowing how to navigate the new reality that is travel in this time, as you mentioned, after um, labor shortages and travel disruptions. And, you know, we've gone from the testing and needing to fill out certain forms and making sure we have our proper insurance coverages and what have you. Is there a to-do list that you can give to us, Claire, for people who are planning to travel over spring break and beyond? Well, anyone who is traveling outside of Canada for spring break, there's, there's a, a laundry list. I'm going to just touch on some of the things that I think are most important. The first thing is to go to travel.gc.ca, which is the Canadian government's website. And I know that um, even when you're filling in, Jody, we have talked about this over and over and it's still not, you know, not everyone goes to it. You yeah. need to put in the destination that you're traveling to and take a look for a lot of different reasons. It has the entry and exit requirements that you may need. Depending on where you're going, you may need vaccination, you may need a visa, you may need an ETA, which is an electronic travel authorization. Places like New Zealand, Korea, there's places all over the world that are needing this. Soon you're going to need one to go to the UK, the EU. So these are, you have to have one if you're in certain jurisdictions around the world to come to Canada. These are something that has to be done within 48, 72 hours prior to departure. It's usually online and there's usually a fee anywhere between, on average, I mean, different for every place, but between five and 20 Canadian dollars. So that's really important. You need to make sure you've got travel insurance. A lot of people out there um, forget this step. They think that they have it and assume they have it on their credit card. They mm -hmm. may not. Um, mm -hmm. The credit cards, 90% of them don't cover anything. And the 10% that do, it's typically just emergency medical insurance for travel, which is the bare minimum that you go, uh, that I, I say that you travel with. And that's because you never know when you're going to step on coral and need stitches or slip on a pool deck and, and break yeah. an arm. It's yeah. for the unexpected. So please make sure you've got that. The other thing is if you've booked with a smaller carrier um, that has a limited fleet, think Sunwing, think Flair, mm. those types of carriers, not the Air Canada's or the WestJets. They, if there's a flight uh, change because of weather or maintenance, they can only put you on 
and they're only required to put you on their next available flight, that could be days from when you're initially planning to go. So right. if you have travel insurance that covers you for cancellation and interruption, you can then find whatever the fastest way is and book that to get to wherever it is you need to go or come back when you want to come back. I am recommending still carry on only. And I know that that's hard for a lot of people. And I know that a lot of people are doing this. So it seems like there's not a lot of space. But given the situation that I've seen over winter break, which was really only weeks away from now, um, it just it wasn't great. So yeah. if you can do carry on only, I suggest that you do that. Uh, we've had lots of... Uh, uh, unfortunately, a lot of situations with uh, weather events here in Vancouver, but right across the country. So if you're you're flying through certain destinations, you need to plan for that and mm. kind of have a, a, a backup. Um, yeah. Canada Border Services Agency has some good advice as well. Planning ahead uh, before you leave on uh, border wait times. You can security checkpoints as well. You can also check on the air ports websites of where you're leaving through and they can give you an idea of you know how how much time do you need ahead of time to get to the airport i always err on the side of caution and get there very very quickly make sure you have your travel documents at hand we're march 1st for many people they're leaving kind of mid-march for spring break if you haven't checked your travel documentation for expiry dates please do that now um, yeah. you need to make sure that you have whatever it is you need i recently heard there was a story about someone who didn't have uh, their driver's license was expired or something. Uh, the document that they were using for travel, they were blaming the airline. That is something that is the passenger's responsibility. Right. So make sure that you have that. And because it's uh, a time that people are traveling with kids, make sure that if you are traveling with only one adult or one parent, uh, or your kids are going off on something with a, a sports team or a band, make sure you've got a consent lend. You can actually pull that right off travel.gc.ca. There's a consent form that all you have to do is fill in the blank. It's super easy, but you may be asked by an officer to present that type of a document. Um, of it, course, no cannabis. <laughs> and um, right. I guess that goes without saying. Yeah, but you got to say it. I mean, it's things that you'd think would go without saying when you're talking about insurance, for example, like getting that insurance, insurance, thinking it's just attached to your credit card, and it's likely not. And then when you're signing up for it, and you see, oh, I'm just going to take the cheapest option, even though that it is required that you divulge any, um, you know, underlying health issues you might have. We saw a story of a man in Saskatchewan who was vacationing in Arizona, and he didn't fully disclose uh, some of the things on his health document and his family is on the hook for the entire nut thousands upon thousands upon yeah. thousands of dollars so you don't want to think oh i'm just going to go over the cheapest version that'll be fine you want to actually you know buck up for the insurance that you actually need let's get into some of your other notes oh, and then yeah. get to some deals today first before we jump into yeah. the bizcations which i was teasing all day today for people because i know there are a lot of people <laughs> doing bizcations i want to just uh, hop yeah. on the fact that cam loops there is, uh, for the first time in years, flights between Kamloops and Edmonton with Flair Airlines and a, and a couple other hops. Yeah, so this is the first time in over six years that there's going to be a flight between Kamloops and Edmonton, and that's going to be offered three times a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. It's not starting until June the 15th, but for people um, you know, in that area over summer months, that can be a very popular route, so it's really totally. great that that's now being offered. There's some unbelievable introductory rates on that um, that, are, that are out there in the marketplace for sure. I love that. Okay, bizcations, because somebody might be like, well, I'm going to Kamloops for my bizcation. I'll just sit at a lake and uh, <laughs> log on and do my work from there. Uh, bizcations are an emerging trend, aren't they? Oh, they are, especially because the pandemic had a lot of employers put together plans where people can work remotely. I know our office did it and people love it. We have people working in Halifax, in Mexico, all over, uh, and they're able to fully function. And I think that a lot of people are looking at this as a, almost like a perk. One in four Canadians said that their employer allows them to benefit by a bizcation, which blends that remote work while they're on vacation. And this was a study that was done by Allianz, and it was conducted by Ipsos, a really interesting study uh, that it revealed that bizcations are a popular work perk as 72% of those who have the option to plan on taking a bizcation this wow. year would do it. 
It's yeah. a that's a huge number. It is really popular oh for the younger younger generation. They they the survey found that eighty two percent of people aged eighteen to thirty four will exercise their option to take a vacation, but uh, only a fifty percent of those who are over the age of fifty five plan on doing the same. Really interesting mix of where um, people are you know hoping that that they can do it. The top mm-hmm. vacation destinations were thirty two percent was actually within Canada. So outside of home province, but within Canada, 24%, not surprising, Mexico or the Caribbean, who doesn't want the sun, 15% to the U.S. and 29% international. I mean, if you have the opportunity to go somewhere you've never been internationally on business and then stay and maybe work for a little while longer, why wouldn't you? I know I would. (laughs) I know I would. Absolutely. And that's why I always love it when we get to this portion of your segments, Claire. I want the deals. Let's dream big. Where are we going? And uh, give us the the travel best bets, uh, best finds, if you will. Okay, well, my favorite today is actually Greek island hopping. This is a bucket list for a lot of people, and you can do this May the 8th through until middle of October, and it's a package. So this isn't a tour that, you know, you have a guide and someone's with you the whole time when you're with other people, but it's all planned for you. It's airfare, two nights hotel in Athens, three nights in Santorini, and then three nights in Mykonos, with breakfast every day and all of the transfers to get you from Athens to the outer islands. And it's $2,099, taxes of eight oh six. They're horrible to Europe. And for those looking for a quick getaway, Las Vegas is on a lot of people's list. They may have not been there since the pandemic. There's a lot going on. If you haven't been there since the pandemic, I mean, there's a whole new resort area called Resort World. You know, it's where Katy Perry and a bunch of other um People are headlining, mm-hmm. and it's a number of different hotel properties. Really cool. That is not the hotel for this deal, but if you want to go to Vegas, May first uh, through the 29th, airfare and three nights hotel, two ninety nine. The taxes almost the same. You know, it's hit the rock bottom when the taxes yeah. are uh, two forty six on that. <laughs> but still a um, deal. Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, it's still a great deal. Yeah. Um, I'm really finding it hard to find all inclusives to Mexico or the Caribbean that are under a thousand dollars. Anytime I do, I do share them. Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, obviously well after spring break and Easter break now, but May 3rd through until June the 21st, airfare and seven nights in a four-star beachfront all-inclusive resort, 919, taxes of 426. And do we have any more time or do you want the We last do. One? Just hit this. I want to hit this British Isles cruise for sure. Okay, so uh, this is a 12-night British Isles cruise. It's it's a fantastic itinerary that, you know, you will hit the best of Britain by doing this. August the 20th, it's 12-night deluxe cruise. It comes with 150 US dollar onboard credit, and it's $14.99, the taxes of $3.58. And the details are all online because you really need to see the, the ship. You need to see the itinerary to really get a feel for what this offers. I love the idea of unpacking once. And mm. being able to see that part of the world, just, you know, wake up and you're in Portsmouth and wake up, you're in Belfast. <laughs> that just sounds like such a dream vacation. Oh, my goodness. Travelbestbets.com is where you can find out more. Of course, Claire Newell is uh, the best bet to find your travel adventure. We've been waiting so long to get out and explore the world or even our backyard. Make sure you go to Travelbestbets.com. As always, Claire, thank you. Thanks so much, Jody. Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. You know, social media can be a dark place. It can be a place where there are attacks and bullies and vitriol and harassment, sometimes criminal level harassment. Every now and then, though, you connect with somebody and you think, ah, I'm going to learn from this person. And you kind of become Twitter friends or Insta friends, TikTok friends, whatever it might be. Well, I have a Twitter friend that I'm going to introduce you to now, somebody I've never spoken to in real life before, but have gone back and forth with on Twitter. I have followed his account and watched some unbelievable attacks and vitriol leveled at Professor Gavin Yamey. He is a professor of global health and public policy at Duke University's director for Center for Policy Impact in Global Health. He is a columnist at Time 
And people come at you, Professor, in ways I just, I have to say, you are very, very brave. And one of the reasons why I wanted to speak with you today is because of how you manage that. And maybe you can help others like myself deal with similar. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thanks very much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. And thanks for that nice uh, introduction. But misinformation, disinformation, racism, anti-Semitism, the trolls, the bully pulpit. When you got into global health and public policy, when you rose to the levels of success that you have as a professor, could you ever have imagined being targeted in the way you have? Um, I mean, it's a lot worse than I could have ever imagined. And I think clearly social media has amplified um, the attacks. You know, I have a background both as a physician. I was in clinical practice first and then um, went into medical journalism and journal editing. Really, at the very start of the sort of social media explosion, um, uh, and then I you know, went into academic global health about a dozen years ago, and I try and sort of combine all of these things now with some public communication of science, some policy work. Um, and there's no doubt that uh, the COVID pandemic has unleashed a torrent. Um, you know, it was always there, the magnitude, the vitriol, the excess of the last three years has been, I think, unprecedented. And then, as you alluded to, I think a lot of the kind of extremists, the folks who are pushing misinformation, disinformation, denialism, they aren't just extremists in one domain. They appear to be extremists in multiple domains. So they may be anti-vaccine, sure, but along with that, in my experience, the folks who have harassed me, they also express anti-Semitism, they express you know, anti-LGBT views. Um, I was harassed by one anti-vaxxer who was an anti-abortion activist who ran interference for the Russian government. You see this sort of, you know, clustering, if you like, of, ex of extremist ideas and a clustering of conspiracy theorism. Isn't it something, too, that when there is somebody who comes at you in one way, perhaps anti-vaccine, specific to COVID-19 with something that they, you know, lash out with a, a f something they believe to be true, a fact that they have attached themselves to. And then with your ability to debunk that, it switches and it becomes, it becomes nasty. It becomes personal. Yeah, I mean, that, that has, you know, I'm laughing because I, I, that is one of the techniques I use, right? I try and laugh it off. But it does, it becomes personal. I've had, you know, some of the most vicious anti-vaxxers have, you know, harassed me for, like, ridiculous things. A guy, one of the worst trolls out there who has tweeted about me that literally thousands of times, comments about what I wear, my hairline receding. You know, I'm 54. Yes, my hairline is receding. You know, he saw a video of me and commented on the length of my arms. You know, I happen to be tall and have long arms. So it becomes, you know, it becomes ridiculous. Unfortunately, he also is one of the, you know, most kind of grotesque anti-vaxxers out there. But yes, it becomes very personal. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to try and sort of, you know, move on from that, deflect that, ignore that. I mean, obviously, many of us block a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I would say is that I think it's extremely important to distinguish between the kind of stuff we've just been talking about, right? The hardcore anti-vaxxers from those who are vaccine hesitant. I have all the time in the world, infinite yeah. amount of time for those who are vaccine hesitant, there are many reasons why people may hesitate. And, you know, we really should be spending time answering questions, being patient, not judging those who are hesitant for, you know, reasons that we can discuss and explore and not judge about. What we've been talking about, though, are those who are, you know, out there spreading disinformation and denialism some of whom, of course, are doing it for profit. I mean, let's not forget mm -hmm. this is a for-profit industry, the anti-vax industry, very powerful, that monetizes fear and suffering. You know, they, they have made hundreds of millions of dollars selling 
fake cures and tinctures and lotions and potions and books and videos. And it's venal and extremely cynical. And I, you know, like many other folks, try and, and expose these folks, talk about these folks. Sunlight is a disinfectant. Try and explain to people that those anti-vaxxers are absolutely not to be trusted. We are with Professor Gavin Yamey, Professor of Global Health and Public Policy, Duke University, Director of Center for Policy Impact in Global Health, also a columnist with Time. And Professor, what you were saying there about how the stoking of fears and the selling of, of anti-science is huge business. There's this piece of the puzzle, there, the want to collect those hesitant right? Because it's, we've reached this point that it feels like you have to pick a side, you have to be in a camp. You're not allowed to, to say what you just said, which is I have infinite time for somebody who is vaccine hesitant or wants a bunch of questions answered before they move forward with whatever the science might represent for them. It's really fascinating to know the, the big name people, the, the Robert F. Kennedy Juniors of the world who, uh, you know, don't hesitate in throwing down the disinformation when they know it's not true. That's right. Um, and they are doing this for power, for fame, for money. The New York Times did a superb uh, feature on Joseph Merkler, one of the mm. main disinformation merchants. And Merkler himself has said that his net worth is at least $100 million dollars. And I think, you know, folks don't always realize that, that the motivation for a lot of the so-called disinformation dozen, the dozen of the disinformation merchants who peddle the most uh, anti-vax nonsense is financial. Um, and you can't really just present facts to them and say, look at these facts, because they keep moving the goalposts. Or they will seize on a tiny piece of information that might have some vague sounding credibility and, you know, you debunk that and then they present you with another piece. And it's, it's kind of hopeless. I made the mistake early in the pandemic, uh, something I, I generally regret, although not entirely, but I made the mistake of going on to a podcast of a known anti-vaxxer. And, you know, I was a bit naive and I thought, well, he's got a huge following and maybe I'll reach a couple of people with some decent, solid scientific evidence. And it soon became clear that it was a setup. It was a trap. He was not interested in hearing about data. He would sort of flash up on the screen, on the screen, some kind of nonsense from the Epoch Times. Epoch Times oh, is the no. sort of QAnon's favorite newspaper. And then when the podcast was over, he took to Twitter to start calling me a Nazi and all that kind of stuff. And so oh it, it, it's, not, it's not a situation in which you can simply present the data and the facts and the evidence. You know, these folks have their minds make up, made up and they have an agenda. And, uh, um, you know, that sort of polite conversation is not really going to do much. I have to say the reason that I don't 100% regret that is that some of his viewers actually ended up writing to me to say they had never, ever heard anyone on his show talk about the benefits and the value and the safety of vaccines. And they were grateful mm. to hear this, what they thought was an alternative view. So, you know, these folks create an ecosystem around them where by their viewers and their listeners are really only hearing disinformation and misinformation. So, you know, so I you did reach a few your couple. people wrote to me. Yeah, yeah I reached yeah. a couple. Even if I reached so one, you, I, you know, maybe it was it. worth it. Although, you know, it was pretty it's, unpleasant, the experience. Also continuing is our discussion with Professor Gavin Yamey. He's a professor of global health and public policy at Duke University and director at the Center for Policy Impact in Global Health. Also a Time columnist. He's a musician aficionado. I love your Twitter <laughs> feed. I do enjoy your Twitter. And and that you continue to keep such a positive attitude and rapport, even in the face of, of disinformation, anti-science, anti-vax, and, and really bully attacks. Uh, personally, where do you think we go from here? Are, have we reached the rock bottom yet? And as you said, you've got somebody on your Twitter who has attacked you thousands of times. Is it time we get to a point 
where those types of attacks have swift and meaningful consequences to the people that would would attack at you? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Look, I think a lot of the worst folks had been banned from Twitter. This guy had been banned. Um, he was banned for wishing Tony Fauci a slow, painful death behind bars. Um, with Elon Musk taking over, he must let everybody back on. Folks like him, you know, Naomi Klein had been... Naomi Wolf, I always forget. <laughs> I always mix up the Naomi's. It's Naomi Wolf. Right? Naomi Wolf, yes. yes, yes. She had been, I love Naomi Clyde. Naomi Wolf had been banned and then, you know, for just awful um, vaccine disinformation, she's back. I mean, a lot of the worst folks are now back on, you know, on Twitter. Certainly, I think when it comes to protecting health workers and protecting health reporters and protecting all of us in public health um, who have been, uh, you know, attacked, harassed, targeted, we need to do more, clearly. You know, I, I, all of us have been, have either been targeted or we know of folks who have been targeted with credible threats, uh, credible death threats. A, 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 you know, a friend and colleague of mine received a handwritten note to her house after she what? had been promoting masks in the community. You know, what? they had to get the police, put cameras everywhere. Another friend of mine got white powder sent to her office, um, you know, so there needs to be clearly more done to protect those of us involved in the public communication science from those kinds of attacks. Um, that is next level. You know, I mean, of course, universities need to do more. We need to get, it, get the science agency involved, law enforcement involved, all of those sorts of things, right? There was an Austrian doctor who ended up dying by suicide because anti-vaxxers had harassed her so much. I mean, she, you know, she died as a result of that kind of harassment. We've got to do more to protect folk. There's no doubt about that. Um, and awful. we are learning. Wow. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I'm interested in this. I've been, I've been involved in this. I'm not an academic who studies how to um, reduce disinformation and misinformation, but there are scholars out there who have been studying this, and they've shown, for example, that there are ways of kind of inoculating the public against misinformation. You can sort of, you know, expose them to the right, the scientific, you know, correct arguments before they hear nonsense, a bit like vaccines building antibodies to resist a virus. A virus. You, can, mm. you can kind of inoculate people with information. Also, research has shown that exposing who is behind the misinformation and disinformation, who is paying for it, that can help. You know, legal and political strategies can help. Figuring out who the disinformation merchants are, how are they networked. I mean, during COVID, there has been an extraordinary network of these organizations. And, sh and it's been helpful to map those, expose those, follow the money trail. All of those things we know can help. Honestly, I appreciate your time so very much. And um, following along on your Twitter, I should mention at G Yamey, Y A M E Y, Professor Gavin Yamey, MD, MPH. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for standing up for and saying out loud the things that we all need to keep in mind. What you just said about people's homes being. Um, targeted and and with white powders and and the impacts that can that can take the oh, life of awful. somebody harassed awful. it's just no, no, it's awful. just terrible. and i know we're running yeah. out of time but you know i had one person coming after me through my work and that was without a doubt the worst week of my life because i thought yeah. that he was going to go after my kid my wife and then i thought well i caused this by speaking out against anti-vaxxers if i'd been quiet, quiet I wouldn't have right. been targeted and that's a terrible way of thinking because you know it's not my fault that there are 100%. people like that out in the world so there you go. 100% I couldn't agree with you more and I know you and I have talked about this on our discussions yeah. on Twitter and I've said here publicly it is next Friday that the one who had harassed me will enter a guilty plea and get his sentence for doing exactly oh, what you just explained. Yeah. And I was, yeah. the, the pivot for me was when he mentioned my son. And that, it, if you're listening right now and you're angry, that's fine. But you do not 
you do not come at the personal attacks like that. It is, it, you got to look at yourself in the mirror on that. And, and professor, I thank you for this conversation. Like it was with going on the podcast and maybe just reaching one person. Maybe there was somebody screaming at the radio 10 minutes ago, who's now thinking about uh, what they might do next to be better. I appreciate your time, sir. Thanks for having me. Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett, and it's time to talk with a very familiar and much celebrated uh, name in British Columbia, across Canada for that matter. He is a chef, he's an author, he's a TV personality, he is our friend. He is Vikram Vidge is on the line. Vikram, good to have you. Welcome. Namaste, Jody, and uh, happy, happy, uh, you know, year 2023. May all and everybody's wishes come true. Thank you so much. We're not talking about food specifically with you today, are we? We're talking about a call out that you're putting out to to help people by way of getting more people out to donate blood. Let's talk this through. Well, you know, um, probably around eight to 10 years ago, I lost uh, a brother of mine to leukemia. And uh, ever since then, I always felt the need to uh, donate blood because it meant so much to me for him. Uh, I couldn't give him my bone marrow because it didn't match. But, uh, you know, I always felt that whatever I can do and give, I I wanted to give it to him. So uh, I go and donate blood. And, you know, I always tell people it, it replenishes itself. It's totally something that you can give. If you don't have cash, go and give blood. If you don't have uh, anything else to give, you can give blood. And, you know, you should be grateful enough that you can donate blood, that you can give and share and save somebody's life uh, if you can. So it's very important, not just blood, anything, stem cells, uh, you know, platelets, uh, any kind of an organ, if there's there's a time that you should give, because you're not going to take this with you anyway. None of this, everything is... Yeah, so you might as well just donate and save somebody else's life and make somebody else happy. So you make a good point also on the organ donation because it used to be automatic. You could opt out of it, but now you have to opt into it. So that's a good point as well. Giving blood now, I'm not a needle phobe. So I'm, I'm the daughter of a lab technician, so I've had my blood taken more times than most people have because my mom literally was a scientist whose job was to draw blood. And so the difference between those who would go for a blood test or perhaps get a shot like a vaccination, donating blood is very different. It is not at all painful. Not at all. And you know, everybody at the clinic, especially on the Oak uh, Street uh, uh, Donation Clinic, is so nice, so friendly, and just everybody's so nice. And they ask you, and if you have to incur a little bit of a pain so that you can save somebody's life, let's put things into perspective. So what if the needle pokes a little bit? So yeah, what if it a small a poke. If it yeah. takes somebody's life? Uh, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's no no-brainer for me. And everybody's so nice and friendly. And, you know, and the, and the best part of it is that you get those free chips to eat afterwards and those snacks. I knew we were bringing it around to food, Vikram. I knew we were. We're talking with Vikram Vidge. Yes, that Vidge's restaurant, Vikram Vidge, and other restaurants as well. But so many, anytime your name comes up, people are like, oh, I love his restaurant. I love going to, to Vidge's. You also are an author. Uh, you and I have spent a great deal of time on television together cooking. And you would always come into breakfast television super early, early, extra early in the morning to actually create and make each dish with love and and the time it takes in order to cultivate flavors. And, and you really do, Vikram, you live your life in full technicolor and pulling people in to something like donating blood, putting forward that it's in you to give, and also asking, the the ask is very clear here, book an appointment and keep it, right? Exactly. And the ask is, it doesn't matter how often you go, even if you just go once a year, even if you go four times a year, just go and donate blood. If you have enough time to go for a beer, you have enough time to go and, uh, and donate blood. It doesn't matter. They're waiting for you. If you can change somebody's life by donating a little bit of blood that doesn't even harm you or doesn't see any, doesn't do anything to your body and it's going to replenish itself so quickly, 
what is what is so difficult about it and if it is right. painful who cares there are other yeah. things that you be blessed be so happy and be thankful that you can donate blood i like that idea that if you don't have the money to give you do have the blood to give and and it's it's as simple as that i understand that when you go and donate when you make your regular donation you kind of hold court a little bit you go in you talk food you talk you you know you are vikram vij you bring you bring the the happiness, joy, and the namaste wherever you go. I love, I love talking to people. I love talking to people. I love. There was a kid next uh, to me. He was from uh, from some uh, Central America, and you know he had lost his mom to uh, to uh, leukemia or something in in where he came from. And this was his 16th time that he was donating blood. Just listening to those stories, listening yeah. to people, listening to what people have gone through. In order uh, to 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 need blood, you know, young kids need blood, uh, parents need blood, everybody, and it's 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 actually very easy to share and give. You know, it's like sharing a piece of bread with somebody. Just enjoy it, enjoy the moment, and to be honest with you, it should not be that difficult at all. So, if people are wondering, they can go to blood.ca. That's easy to remember. Right. Blood.ca. You yeah. book an appointment. How long does the appointment take? What's it like? Walk us through it. When you, you're walking in okay. the door and they go, Vikram, yeah. and you're like, hey, where's my chair? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's like, uh, where's my throne? I need the red carpet and throne. I'm kidding. Yes, of no. course. Of course They're so <laughs> lovely. They're so friendly. They're so lovely. They're so friendly. Have you filled out the questionnaire? Yes, I have. Uh, no, I haven't. And I go in and I fill out the questionnaire. And it's a really thorough, thorough, thorough questionnaire. They ask you all these kind of detailed questions which are personal, and you feel really good about it. And then once you've done it, you go sit down, your name is on the board, and uh, somebody takes you to the back. They do a screening process. They do they check your hemoglobin if you're allowed to give. So they actually make sure that you're allowed to give. It's not like you just go in and you give blood. They actually make sure that you know your, your requirements are met, your hemoglobin level is high, that you've eaten, that your veins are fine, they're pumped up. And then, then you sit down and you, you look at all the happy faces and the people are going by and it's beautiful and you see the blood has been given and you look at it and you, you just actually, it's an emotional uh, feeling of saying, I just saved somebody's life. I yeah. just saved somebody's uh, organ. I just saved something uh, in somebody. I don't even know them. I'm just putting it out there in the universe. It's not like I'm going to meet the person who receives my blood. But the fact that I gave is like sharing bread with people who are hungry, who need it. And there's nothing better than life to share. That's brilliant. On the blood.ca website, it does say, make all the difference. The greatest human connection is made when we give to each other. Whether it's time, knowledge, expertise, or a life-saving donation, these connections are what make us Canada's lifeline. Blood.ca. Vikram, thank you for this. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. I'll see you soon to break some bread with you. And maybe maybe we'll go do a donation together. For anybody who doesn't have an issue with needles, honestly, now is the time. Over the COVID-19 pandemic, it was impossible to restock literally this life's blood uh, for those who need it so desperately in this country. And and some people have blood that is... uh, is, is difficult to find or one that matches everybody, the universal blood type. These are the things we can learn about by going to blood.ca and stopping in at a blood clinic near you and be a donor. 